Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. So today's podcast is a continuation or follow-up on two of the more recent podcasts. In one podcast I mentioned a, a couple of stories about how I dealt with situations where I had outgrown or disagreed with my mentors. And in another situation I talked about how I define leadership as the willingness to break rules in inverted commas or um, the naturally accepted way of doing things. And the danger of those two podcasts is really it makes me sound a little bit like a jerk. So I wanted to explain how I had arrived at the conclusion to, if you look at the common theme between those podcasts, is really to operate in a philosophy that the buck really does stop with me. And I do operate in a mentality of, you know, trust no one, check everything. As you know, as Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. So there was an incident that happened to me early in my career that forced me to adopt that style of double-checking everything, no matter who it came from, even if it came from the most senior partner, I would double-check it just to be sure. Not that I thought people were incompetent, but I do know that sometimes people are not careful, and most of the time people do have a hidden agenda that they are trying to propagate across the practice. So when I when I first joined the firm, I was certainly naive, I think, like most people, where I just assumed the firm is perfect and everything works like, you know, the fairy tale. And while there were signs early, I don't think anything had happened to me directly until I was once put onto a project um, in organizational design. So I'm not an organizational design person. I know nothing about organizational design. You know, I grew up in, not even in strategy, but in the corporate strategy side of the business. So even business unit strategy, I can do it, but I'm more corporate strategy, you know, big turnarounds for large companies. And on one particular um, a large turnaround for an energy company, um, the CEO specifically wanted someone with a strategy background, corporate strategy background, to work in organizational strategy so that he, and he was sure that the organizational design that we would put together would be able to allow the company to execute the corporate strategy. And for better or worse, I was that corporate strategy person put onto the project and I was made to work with a associate principal, I think it was, yeah, associate principal, um, or she became an associate principal during the project, something like that, but associate principal in the organizational design practice. Now, in many ways, the associate principal was untouchable because she had the trifecta. She was a female, she was a female, which, you know, back in the day, females were not um, dime a dozen. They're not even there now. But when I was around, females were even more scarce in management consulting. So she was untouchable in that regard. Second, she was a minority. And not just a minority, but a persecuted minority whose family had to leave her home country, wherever that was, uh, travel around the world to escape prosecution. And you know, in some ways, that made her even more untouchable. And third... Her uncle and her family happened to be oligarchs, which meant that in some ways the consulting firm was doing work for her family's companies indirectly. So you couldn't really touch this lady. Whatever happened, whatever she said, the firm was going to think very carefully about doing something to upset her. And I was put onto this project. Now, I must be honest, when I was first told I was going to be working with this lady, it was not a joyous moment for me because... While I'd never worked with her before, I had seen her around the office, and she was not what you would call a fun person. You know, she was a, a, a very dour, somber person who walked around, rarely smiled. She looks kind of boring, to be honest to me. And I could not imagine spending eight weeks working with her. Eight weeks of my life working with this person was not going to be fun. 
you know, attending all senior client meetings with her, working with her in the evenings. I couldn't imagine it. Now, when people say that you have to be a fun person to be in management consulting because no one wants to work with a, you know, um, buzzkill, trust me, it's a very important thing. So, on that regards, I knew this was going to be a bad project because I just couldn't see this lady being someone that I was going to get up in the morning and saying, wow, I'm going to be working with, let's just call her Emma, and it's going to be the best experience of my life. Right? That was never going to happen. So in that regard, I was not feeling so great about it, but I decided to, you know, just um, do my best and, you know, try to make her look good and try to learn something about organizational design. It's probably going to be the last time I'll be in organizational design for a very important client, one of the biggest organizational design studies the firm was doing in that year, I think. Uh, I could be wrong, but it was definitely one of the largest and a chance for me to do something I'd never done before. So anyway, I get in there and I start the process and the first day we have sort of an expectations exchange, um, which she called for, I was going to call for it anyway, and she kind of lays down the expectations, which is um, not that unusual, but certain of the things that she mentioned were automatic warning signs that I should have seen at that point, whereby she said, you know, if you want to do anything, you have to run it by me first, which is kind of weird because in a consulting engagement, things are moving so fast how do I run it by? Do I call her every time I have to make a decision? It doesn't make any sense, right? The way it works in consulting is you hire people, you agree the operating philosophy, and you don't tell them, check everything by me first. You said, go ahead and make the decision, but you know stick to these operating principles because you can't check everything with them. So uh, that should have been a warning sign. The, the second one is... Whenever someone tries to motivate you with fear, it's generally a bad sign. So her version of motivating was saying something along the lines of, um, you know, this is a very important client, which is like kind of obvious because I knew that. And we can't mess this up, so we have to really work hard. So whenever someone tries to motivate you with fear, to me, that's a really big warning sign. I should have seen it. I was, as I said, naive then. And I didn't pick this up. I think I may have been about 23 then. I was either 22 or 23. I think I was probably 23 then. So so she um, continues in this way, which is not bad. The, you know, the expectation exchange, some warning signs, but I thought maybe she speaks that way, but operating-wise would be very different. Um, then we start doing the analysis, right? We, we start going out there, collecting initial data to frame our hypotheses. And it's very quickly to me that it's very obvious to me very soon that this lady doesn't work that way. The way she works is that she has a set analysis she does in every client, irrespective of the situation. Now, I'm not saying operations doesn't work like this. I'm not saying corporate finance doesn't work like this. But in corporate strategy, given the fact that's where management consulting in some ways was developed in the modern sense in the 70s and 80s, we are very, very hypothesis-driven. We are very focused on building bespoke analysis to test very specific things at the client. So immediately the way we operated didn't work. I would be going down and building my uh, initial storyboard based on my initial thinking, based on my initial hypotheses, and I'd present this to and say, oh, that's nice, but um, what I was thinking is we need to go out and collect this data. And I said, okay, why are we collecting the data? You know, uh, what are we testing with it? And he said, no, this is, we just collect this data and we see what it's telling us. Okay, that's nice. That's a very unique way of doing things. But I didn't want to argue with that. I was pretty sure that um, even with her approach, 
and the fact that I had, be- I wouldn't say better, but good analytic skills, we could, you know, make it work somehow. And I wasn't going to make a big deal about this, right? And if she has a certain way of doing something, let's see what it's like. So we go out and start collecting the data and, you know, plugging through it. And my greatest fear comes you know alive you know when you when you collect data for the sake of collecting data you open a mount you open a river and the the data just starts pouring in from the client and we're building these complicated spreadsheets just for the sake of trying to uh, build some kind of analytic engine around all this data but the analytic engine is answering no specific question because there's no hypothesis guiding the data collection. So the data collection takes a ton of time. I remember sitting there and and going through grading sheets for different employees, right? engineers, scientists, and whatever the levels are. And every division has their own way of doing it. And so we're going into workshops to run a workshop to get people to agree to do certain things, but really internally, we haven't determined if it's the best thing for them to do. So basically what this lady has done is she's put together a set of best practices that she's determined that this company should follow, but she hasn't tested if the best practices are relevant to the client. Now, I I went to see my mentor at the time and spoke to him about it. um, And at the time I thought he was being helpful, but later on I realized that he actually wasn't being helpful. He just said, you know, go with her way, see what she's doing. He said he'll talk to her, but nothing happened, nothing changed. I don't think he even spoke to her, and she just continued her way. And so it became very, it became a very difficult project whereby we're collecting a lot of data, analyzing a lot of data, didn't know why we're analyzing it. We were presenting these recommendations to clients in workshops, but there's no data backing it up. And again, even though we were in that position, I felt pretty sure that in time I would be able to pull this together and and find the data to either back up what you're saying or disprove what you're saying. So I wasn't too concerned there. But I should have been concerned because obviously if you're presenting to the, you know, if the, if the recommendations are going to the board, um, you can't backtrack very easily. They will want to know what changed, what, why is the recommendations changed. So those things were not pleasant, but they were manageable to me. They were not personal issues. And as long as someone's, if someone's incompetent, I can deal with them. But if someone's personally attacking me, that's different. I can still deal with them, but it's not as pleasant. Now, one, one of the, 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 the techniques I have is that when I'm being personally attacked, I don't respond to it, which is the opposite of what most people do. When you attack someone personally, they think it's their license to start being an equal jerk. And, and one of the things I train all of my mentees is that when you're under attack, you don't respond, ever. Do not respond. Do not defend. Do not attack back. You just stand there, and unless the person's physically attacking you, you don't have to do anything. The one thing you can do is turn away and walk away, but that is it. No response. If you respond, you give someone ammunition to continue the attack. So anyway, what I noticed this lady would do is... um, we used to have these team updates. There were major updates, right? Because this was a team of, I think, 20 consultants at this client. So you've got 20 consultants there, and sometimes we would invite... uh, the client into these update meetings. So uh, on some days we'd have 40 people in this massive room presenting with each team talking about what they're doing, what they're finding, the challenges and where they're taking the project forward. So one of the days I didn't attend this meeting because I was busy going out and collecting the data she wanted. And I should have attended the meeting. It's quite important to attend these meetings, but I I spoke to the engagement partner and mentioned that I need to do this. And if he doesn't mind, I will try to collect it as soon as possible and attend the meeting, but it's my only chance because the guy's about to go on vacation. So he says, yeah, no problem, go out, collect it. So anyway, 
after the meeting, I noticed some of the consultants were making jokes about my um, skills. I said, okay, you know, what are you guys joking about? And he said, well, in this meeting, this person said that one of the reasons you guys are behind is because you haven't been able to um, run the analysis correctly, and she was relying on you because you're from you know, the corporate strategy side. And I thought that was pretty ridiculous because, firstly, she's more senior than I am. She's an associate principal. How can she not know how to do analysis? And second, the reason we're behind is not because I don't know how to do the analysis, it's because I don't know why I'm doing it, because she doesn't want me to drive them through hypotheses. I'm analyzing everything. So I didn't make a big deal about it. I, I felt that this is, you know, maybe it's a once-off thing. Let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe people misunderstood. Maybe she's under pressure. I can understand what it's like for her, right? She's a minority female uh, on a very difficult project reporting to a very tough client. So I'm not going to make a big deal for her. So I didn't worry. Then I, I noticed a few days later, a same th similar thing happened when I was there, whereby a senior partner asked her for something and she referred to me and said, um, you know, you were supposed to do this, where is it? And the reality is that it, she does in front of everyone, a team of 17 consultants that can all hear her speaking to me this way. And again, I erred on the side of caution here and decided not to make a big deal about it and said, look, um, we haven't discussed this, but if you want me to do it, I can do it for you now. And then she responds by saying, well, actually, I asked for this a long time ago, so maybe you should do it a lot quicker. So to me, it's quite obvious that she's changing the realities to make herself look better to the senior partners if she's not responsible for things. But again, I could manage that. Where things became really bad is when she would tell the client that I was responsible for something that was delayed. And it became so bad that I remember the client should actually make jokes about my skills in front of the other consultants. And it was very bad because it was a very senior client. This guy was, um, the, he, what was his level? I think he was one level below the operating committee. Or he, I think he may have actually sat on the operating committee. So there's the operating committee, the executive committee, then the board. He's a very senior guy in a company that hires 120,000 people in one of the world's largest energy companies. And that all downhill from there. And I remember speaking to my mentor, who again was absolutely no help, telling me, no, I've got to be you know, a pacifist about this, blah, blah, blah. And things really reached ahead when we were working on the organizational changeover, when we were changing the legal structure of the company. It sounds like it's just a simple thing to do, but you've got to hand over new employment documents to about you know 20,000 to 40,000 staff. You've got to change the remuneration structures and so on. So I spent a whole few weeks setting up the process that on how we're going to do this, where we drop off letters and so on for employees, how we'd hand it over to them. And on Sunday, the Sunday before the Monday when this was going to happen, she had decided that she looked at my update report and she changed the structure and when drop-offs would take place and so on without checking it with me. And when I come in on Monday morning at 6 a.m. to start the process and I call in each of the different area I managed to tell them the process is going to begin, she tells me, Michael, I've changed the process and I think this would work better. And I think to myself, but do you not understand the implication of what you've done? You've just, you, you think you've just changed a few things, but operationally everything's got to change and you haven't even told me about this. And I said, okay, if, if you want to change it, you will have to deal with this because you've made all of the changes. And then she starts arguing about it and saying, no, you know, you, you've got to work with me. Anyway, a client was there. I had to defend and, you know, protect the name of the firm. So I just went along with her. And it was an epic disaster. I can assure you it was not good for my career. That was the worst project I've ever done. And one of the lessons I've learned from that is that 
if something doesn't make sense to you, you've got to confront it immediately. And I've always operated on that principle since then. If something doesn't make sense, you confront it immediately. If someone steps out of line, I, I correct them right then and there. Not rudely, but one thing I've noticed, if someone steps out of a line a little bit, they're almost testing you. And if you let them get away with it, they'll, they'll push the line even further. They'll push the line even further. So you've got, to, you've got to stop it. So while I'm not aggressive about it, when someone steps out of line, I'll always speak to them private and say, look, you did this. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and assume you meant something nice about it. But if you didn't, you've got to think through the consequences of your action because it has these kind of repercussions. And in the worst case, I'm probably not going to trust you. So if you have a problem, do not raise it in a public environment. You've got to discuss it with me. If you don't like something I'm doing, that's okay, but there's no room for making our private disagreements a public disagreement. So anyway, something along those lines, right? And so there's, there's, there's two strategies here, one of double-checking everything, one of not allowing personal situations to fester, and I suppose the third one here of having this philosophy that the buck does stop with me. Now, that incident was horrible. I didn't enjoy it in the least. I actually considered quitting management consulting after that incident because I felt that, you know, the firm was protecting someone who was clearly incompetent. They knew that. And for whatever reason, they decided they needed to have her around. And she was a terrible consultant, actually. She left, I think, a year after that. Um, and maybe sooner, may have been nine months after that. I don't know why she left. I, I think she went to set up her own firm um, and so on. But anyway... I, I spoke to my mentor, who again was no help, and that's when I decided to get rid of my mentor as well. So I actually voluntarily did not want a mentor in the firm. I decided that I don't need a mentor in the firm, uh, which is kind of ironic because when you don't need a mentor in the firm, that's when actually the good people, the good partners decide, okay, this guy should be mentored. But anyway, I said, I don't want a mentor in the firm. I'll run it my way. So every project I, I took on after that, I made sure I run it my way. There, there would be times in a meeting whereby... A partner would say something, and I'm obviously very polite. In fact, I'll give you a very specific example. The immediate project I worked on after that was in the same client, actually. And we were doing a, uh, I don't want to go into the details, but let's assume we were doing the um, strategy for a very large division within this um, energy company. And I was put onto a project, and it was, and you know, I'm just coming off after an epically disastrous project, which really damaged my reputation and my name. And for a guy who has this, you know, reputation for um, being gifted at analytics and and really good at drawing out insights that other people don't see, I was seen as an idiot, basically. In fact, the situation was so bad that I couldn't even work on the corporate strategy side because the one client didn't think much of me, so they, they had to move me into the business unit side of the analysis, and where I wasn't even working at head office, I was sent to one of the regional headquarters where this division happened to be centered, a very big division, an important division. But I wasn't at head office anymore. So I was almost felt like a drug addict going through some kind of rehabilitation, which it wasn't even my fault. But that's the nature of life. You can't complain. You just have to do things, right? So I had a, a pretty nice uh, manager there. Um, actually, I think he was an associate principal as well. And he was asked to manage this project because of the nature of it. So there, there was an engagement manager there, but the associate principal was leading things. And, and he knew what happened. Everyone knew what happened. It was not exactly like it was a you know highly guarded secret. And he happened to be friends with that other associate principal. And he sat down with me and said, look, you run it the way you want and you know blah, blah, blah. And I did run it the way I wanted. It was a minor, I had a relatively, I wouldn't say minor, it was, I would say, equal importance to all of the other streams of work. I was running the business case. 
And I was running the business case because after that epically disastrous anal analysis that took place in the organizational design, the firm questioned some of the analytical capabilities I had. So I ran this my way. I designed everything from scratch, even though the firm had some techniques to analyze um, uh, value creation in um, R&D businesses, I decided to rebuild it myself. And I researched the way Intel had done this before, and I borrowed their methodology. And I remember once uh, a partner, the partner on the project sat down and he said, look, I don't actually know what you're doing, but the firm has a way to do this. And he, and he talked me through and said, okay, I don't agree with everything you're saying, but I'm going to look at what I can do to meet, or at least build in some of the things you want me to build in, without, but still doing what's right for the client. And now, if a senior partner, you know, this is a senior hotshot partner in corporate finance, comes there and tells you you got to change your structure, most people drop what they're doing and change the structure. I didn't. I, 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 I went in that meeting room after I sat down with the partner and I spent a whole day there thinking about how I'm going to change my approach. I figured out a way to merge what I was working on, uh, the, in the, the way Intel was measuring R&D investments and the way that the partner wanted to do it, and I merged it. I created a hybrid. And I went back to him three days and I said, look, this is, we had a discussion. I so I, I see the value of what you're saying, but I still think there's some value in this approach. So I created this hybrid, and it's an example of 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 trusting but verifying. I trust him because he's a senior partner, but it needs to work in my mind. I'm just not going to follow it because you're saying it's the right thing to do. And secondly, the buck does stop with me. If it doesn't work for me, I'm not going to put it into my slides. And anyway, so I continue through that process. The other thing is that um, things were going, in this project, even though my work was going pretty well, the rest of the teams were struggling. Uh, R&D projects are very difficult to show value in R&D projects because it's R&D, you, you're pricing it with real options and so on. It's a very nebulous concept. And the other teams are struggling. And I remember that um, in one particular workshop we had planned, we were going to talk about the, the, the organizational structuring. Um, the lady, the associate principal I worked with wasn't on this project, but her friend was on the project. Very nice lady. We got along very well. And um, the strategy for the um, R&D division was going to present. And they, they had actually bad... The work wasn't bad, but they, they were not yet... Um, for whatever reason, I don't know what happened there. They were not... Um, credible with the client. I think the work was good. I, I think the consultants in this project were actually pretty capable consultants. They were hardworking. They did the right things. They were clever. And so anyway, we set up a half a day workshop with all the senior managers and executives of the R&D division. And the organizational team presents and the corporate strategy team presents. And one hour in, it's not going well. They're, they're attacking the work and never, when a client is taking control of a workshop, it's bad. So the manager pulls me and said, okay, we, know we have to do some kind of intervention. Can you present? And I said, okay, yeah, sure, I can present. So um, he wanted me to present my approach because the approach was very clever and they felt that if we showed we were taking some of the thinking from Intel, um, the client may be more accepting because they, we can start talking about best practices, which is a very innocent topic. We're talking about another company, so they can never be experts on that and attack us. So I said, okay, I can do that, but I think the bad thing to do is I can show them the first cut of the numbers, which is dangerous because the first cut of the numbers means that uh, there could be a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth cut. But one of the tactics I followed a long time ago after my debacle on the organizational design strategy is to always have clients sign off documents. And it used to irritate some of the partners because I'd actually get a client to put his physical signature in a document and say, yeah, yeah, you agree with that. Uh, it's not exactly the process, but you know, I felt it was a good process. I just went ahead with it. 
So anyway, I start presenting the analysis and the numbers, and everyone agrees. Everyone likes the analysis. They like the numbers. When I say everyone agrees, that's not true. Not everyone agrees. There were some very vocal people. But when you've got the heads of corporate finance on your side saying, yep, I checked the numbers, they're 100% correct. And actually, the printouts that the managers have is slightly wrong because of the way you calculate things. And the consulting firm's numbers are actually correct because they looked at the at everything as entirety. You know, you're fine. So my, 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 my point here in this kind of a long-winded story is that The reason I've became so, I wouldn't say aggressive, but so thorough at firstly challenging mentors is that I learned a long time ago that people don't always know what they're talking about and don't always have the best interests of the firm at, at heart the way you may have it. That's the first thing. The second thing I've realized is that um, it is very, very easy to hear the phrase senior partner, associate principal, and think this person is an expert. And sometimes they could be highly incompetent. So if something doesn't make sense for you, and if you cannot defend this in the nth degree, and if, it, if you're not comfortable with it, I would say don't do it. Now, the other thing is that when issues start spiraling out of control, it is completely correct not to be emotional. Do not emotionally escalate a situation. It's never a good idea. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't confront the situation. You need to confront it calmly and explain what you see and what you think the person is trying to do. And the word I would phrase is that I would say it would appear to an outside. You know, when I confront someone, I never say, I think you're doing this. Because I would say that if someone watches us from outside, they could get the impression that this is happening. So I always do not confront the person directly, but I'll give it. A, I'll say it, state it as something a third party would observe, and that's the way I've run things since then. I mean, you know, when I after the incident, I never really had an official mentor in the firm because I didn't want anyone to mentor me. I thought they were, I would do it myself, and I took control of things. But more and more powerful senior partners felt that this person knew what he was doing. They heard about things I was doing on projects and how I would challenge a partner or a conventional way of doing things and redesign it a better way. And that's what they want, right? People who do what's best for the client, who would, you know, they have a can-do attitude, they'll break down barriers to design something that's even better for the client. Now, it took a very bad project for me to realize you needed to be that way, but I was not being a jerk when I challenged my mentors in the previous podcast, and I was not being a jerk when I broke the rules. Some rules exist because people are lazy and they don't want to do things differently, and those rules deserve to be broken. As always, I'll be happy to respond to any comments and to answer any questions people may have.